Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sani. And then your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. Sam, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great, man. I mean, I got a chance to see my grandparents, a cousin, but not as big as last year. But, you know, yeah. all things considered. Good, good Thanksgiving. Yeah, not not bad considering the circumstances of the world. Um, yeah, Thanksgiving week was weird this this year because, like, you know, I'm used to like going out and buying so many Blu-rays, right, and, like, right, building up my collection at this time of year, and to see it sort of like stay the same, not just like, you know, not just this week, but throughout this entire year feels weird because I haven't bought a Blu-ray since like maybe Joker back in like February or something like that. So well, hopefully we get Cyber Monday deals through the Barnes and Noble Criterion Collection. Yeah, I need to pick up like Irishman <laughs> and Parasite, and Memories of Murder. Like, there's so many, uh, there's so many Criterion discs that that I need to. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something in reviews that that I watched this week that's kind of related to Man or sorry, not Mando uh, Criterion Collection. Um, hmm. But yeah, let's go ahead and get right into it because it was Thanksgiving week. It was a slower week for news, but we did get something actually. We found out this morning. Alex Garland is working on a new movie. He's called it a low-budget horror film, according to an interview that he did with Empire. Um, not a whole lot of details here, but to be set in the UK, and he is currently casting, aiming to shoot in spring or summer of next year. Um, Alex Garland is the kind of person that likes to bring in other people that he's worked with before into his projects. Obviously, we saw uh, Oscar Isaac overlap, Ex Machina to Annihilation, Sonoya Mizuno uh, being a sort of consistent factor throughout a few of his projects. Um, I'm hoping that he sort of reaches back into that bag of actors that he's worked with in the past and brings them into this, especially considering it's a horror film like this, you know, Alex Garland, I think we both would agree that like when it comes to like his stuff, although it's not really horror, it's kind of terrifying stuff because it really is a brilliant commentary on the world that we live in. And, and a lot of his stuff feels like horror. So, so this is pretty exciting. What do you think about this, Sam? Yeah. I'm hoping that we get to see, a chance to see Domino Gleason again, because I feel like we haven't seen him in a good movie since maybe actually ex machina. <laughs> like he's been doing that, those Peter rabbit movies. And 20, like, 2015, he was in Revenant. He was in Brooklyn. He was in star Wars and he was in ex machina. And then he just dropped off the face of the earth. And was he was just doing like, those, those Peter rabbit movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm hoping that the fact that Alex Garner is, you know, shooting, a new movie and he likes to reuse his actors that like he brings on domino because he's a great actor i just wish we, we, see, we get to see him work more but this is interesting to me because of the fact that alex Garland's movies just feel so high budget with like ex machina and annihilation and um what's the other one the tv Debs, show Debs, Debs. Yeah. like it's like these very grand ideas and you know really huge like great sets and all that it just feels very sci-fi heavy to just to see him kind of pivot a bit to a low budget horror movie is, is is exciting to me do you think because he is pivoting to low budget we might see him stray from the sci-fi that we're used to seeing him do Mm, I would think so just because of the fact that sci-fi movies tend to be, you know, cost a lot of money. Like, I feel like, you know, Ex Machina with the setting that they had and, like, the CG that they use on Alicia Vikander's character. You know, Ex Machina's budget was, like, 12 to 15 million. It was really low. Really? Yeah, it looks incredible for that budget, doesn't it? Like, with the setting and, like, the huge-ass house and all that? Yeah, and, like, you said, the CG on Alicia Vikander's body. Like, the fact that, I mean, that movie won Best Visual Effects, and the fact they did that on, like, 15 or less is kind of insane. So imagine how much that would be without the CG, then. Yeah, right. It would have been like maybe five million, considering those actors weren't like big names at that yeah, point. Yeah, probably just be like just just a just a cost for paying the actors then. But yeah, that's right. crazy to me. But like even with Annihilation, it was a huge set. You know, big actors with Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. You know, I would think that one be like a higher budget. I don't know if you know that one off the top of your head. No, I don't know that one. It is. It's like a mid budget. I think it was somewhere between like forty and fifty. But would you want to see him? 
stay with the sci-fi? Would you want them to see be, tell like a horror? I mean, uh, a supernatural horror, like a ghost or a demon I, story. I kind of want to see him go down the route of supernatural, just because he's done sci-fi so many times. And, and like Annihilation, I guess, is an interesting case study because I wouldn't strictly call that sci-fi, although it's more sci-fi than horror. But it definitely has like horror moments in it, like with the the, with bear. the bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even the the alien sequence at the end is pretty ominous. Honestly. I would guess it leans more towards a monster movie then. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call, actually. I wouldn't even be surprised if it is sort of like pulling from a monster movie. I guess I'll, I'll say like in this Empire article, I don't know if you have the chance to read it, Sam, but like he did say that the idea was kind of like it came to him while he was actually writing another TV series that was like supposed to be a commentary on like the riots and the sort of, um you know, the protests and whatnot. So I'm wondering hmm. if it's like if it is more like human focus as opposed to like drawing off the monster stuff. I don't know if that sparks any ideas for you. Maybe like a super racist monster like in a <laughs> country yeah honestly honestly <laughs> and that stuff is like pretty you know pretty hot hot is a weird word to use but it is pretty popular i guess to sort of go down that alley right now so i think alex garland's really smart right and he's very good at commenting on the things that are surrounding us mostly technology up to this point but mm-hmm. even annihilation i think it goes a little bit beyond that i would love to see him since considering the fact that he does he's, he's working with tv now you know you mentioned the fact that he's writing a tv show and he already did you know devs you know considering his penchant for making these very dark technology focus like projects i would love to see him in a black mirror oh he'd be uh, so good directing black mirror even like just taking over show running because like yeah I, exactly i mean like he's I, perfect for it i feel like black mirror has gotten a little dry recently what do you think i didn't watch i didn't watch the last season the one with uh anthony mackie and it, it's dropped off and miley cyrus miley, right? miley yeah. cyrus yeah, yeah, yeah i didn't watch that one he'd be really good to bring a fresh take um to that to that series but uh anything alex garland does i i'm certainly there and the fact that he's going into my favorite genre now with horror is is all the more exciting for a me. low budget horror is your yeah is your thing yeah indie indie horror um, <laughs> and you know you know it's gonna be the quote-unquote elevated horror there are pe- people up there oh god here we go again but like you you know that's what it's gonna be because it's gonna be intelligent horror um i hope he sticks a landing because i'm really really excited based off this new he will probably i mean we haven't seen a thing that he's done that hasn't, he hasn't stuck a landing he hasn't been he hasn't done a bad thing even if you look at the stuff that he don't he, miss. He, he's he's written he's written horror he wrote 28 days later for danny boyle so like mm. he, he's played in the horror sphere already boom monster zombies yeah, yeah zombies right yeah that was uk set too um yeah i guess we'll wait and see i hope i hope he maybe brings oscar isaac or, or alicia vikander back for this one that would make me even more excited um, mm-hmm. we got our first look at tom holland and the Rus in the russo brothers upcoming movie cherry um this is like we've talked about being positioned as sort of an oscar contender specifically i think for tom holland's performance it was picked up by apple um it's gonna hit theaters late february and it'll hit the streaming service in early march um this article from vanity fair gives us our first look at holland's character um gives a little bit more details he's suffering from ptsd abusing drugs robbing banks basically this very troubled individual um what i found pretty interesting about this article is that like the russos described this thing as like six different chapters of a person's life spanning 15 years so like in a way it might be sort of episodic where we follow this person you know he's he's got something messed up in his life and to correct himself he goes into the army and then he comes back and he has ptsd and then to struggle with the ptsd he uses drugs like these different chapters of a person's life um like like i just said like this is being positioned as like a big oscar contender um i'm curious like do you think i feel like tom holland is the kind of actor that can really at some point in his career will be up there with the Oscar contenders he's that talented i'm curious Mm. if you think like the russos are the kind of directors because right now up up to this point we've really only seen 
uh, do Marvel stuff, do you think they can expand their footing into the Oscar field? I would love to see them because because I mentioned this like in the, I don't know two episodes ago that the fact that I would I would have, I would have loved to see the Rooster Brothers been had been nominated for Avengers Endgame, but the, considering the fact that he, they've only done like these huge budget comic book movies with these huge actors and like these immense you know very fleshed out storylines, um, it's 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 interesting. I want to see them how they handle this very much more intrinsic, much more contained story with Tom Holland just being a much more you know, a single focal point as opposed to a, a giant universe of comic book heroes and superheroes and all that. But, you know, I would, you know, I agree with you that Tom Holland doesn't have the capacity to be an Oscar friendly or, you know, Oscar competitive actor in, in, in the industry. But with the Russo brothers, we have to wait and see because we haven't seen them handle something as, you know, as small, you know, quote unquote, as a movie like Cherry. So yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to say. What, what I think is interesting about what you just said and sort of what this article touches on a little bit is like it, it touches on the scale of what the Russo brothers have done, you know, Civil War, Winter Soldier and the two vendor, the two big Avengers movies. Um, and, and they've described this project as like pretty big in scale because it's, you know, it's about somebody who's going into the military, going into the army, um, just going across the world. You know, he's going and fighting in, in a certain space in the world that is not the United States. So it's going to go cross country. But they said it's still pretty intimate because it's so focused on Holland's journey and Holland's story. And I found that pretty promising actually, because they understand the resources that they have available to them to make a big budget project where mm. they can go to different countries, but they're still very focused on the core character itself. And that, I think yeah. ha that, that comment has me more excited than anything else about this project. But even with the fact that, you know, they haven't really worked, you know, directly with Tom Holland, like Tom Holland's work with, um, what's his name? The director uh, for the John Watts. John Watts, like he's like the only time like he has he has like maybe I want I want to say at least a half hour screen time in the two Avengers movies. Sure. And you know, considering the fact of how massive that cast was, the Roosters didn't have that much like, that much of an opportunity to just you know direct Tom Holland particularly. So just to see them flesh out that chemistry is something else to look out for with Cherry. What do you think of them like pulling Tom Holland out of the MCU and into this project? Like, do you think it's just like, did they see Tom Holland as being the right actor for this role? Or do you think it's more like, this is an actor that we've worked with in the past. We know what he's capable of. Let's bring I, him in. I would say it's a, it's a combination of both. Cause they, they obviously yeah. saw his, his ability on say, you know, being as playing Peter Parker. And also the fact that, you know, they have this chemistry already established as minor as it may be. He also has the ability. He has all these, you know, characteristics, characteristics, you know, that helped them make that decision for them. Like if you uh, just say, "Hey, I want to see this kid as a as a PTSD-ridden drug addict, ex-veteran," you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's not like that's not the kind of thing that you just go after any actor for, right? Like you you have a certain vision of a certain type of person playing that character. I feel like more often than not, it's usually Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, <laughs> they're not the only ones that've seen this capacity because he was just in um what was that Netflix movie De called? The Devil All the Time. Which the Devil All the Time. So they see dark, that. Yeah, they yeah. see that in him. That's that's o a good other point. than the Rooster Brothers. I think yeah, that that's a very good point. It's like. Hollywood or the film industry in general sees the potential of like this kid, you know, and he was, he's obviously been in movies before the Avengers movies. Like he, have you seen the impossible, the J.A. Bayona movie? Yes. That was yeah. a great movie. He's really good in that. And I mean, that's obviously when he's younger, but that's pretty heavy subject material. So you know that he can sort of handle that stuff. We just haven't seen him do it in a little bit of time because he's been so dedicated to the Marvel movies and now he's branching out into cool stuff. Um, I guess the closing question on, on this one is like, you know, based off what we've seen, what we've heard about this project, does it fall anywhere near your like most anticipated going into 2021? 
Um, I would say it's at the top just because of the fact that I feel like we're not going to get that many movies in 2021. Uh, you, you, think we're, you think we're still going to have to wait a little bit before we get back to the theater? Well, we have to wait and see what Pfizer does with all their vaccines, you know, right. the logistic issues and getting them, you know, distributed and all that. Yeah, you know, it'll be a while. Fingers, be a while. fingers crossed. <laughs> um, yeah. Also in the news this week, like we said, it was a bit of a slower week. Uh, the Jessica Chastain movie 355 got pushed to January 14, 2022, almost an entire year. I don't really know what's going on there. Um, Godzilla versus Kong could be following Wonder Woman 1984 and heading to HBO Max. Um, Netflix apparently put in like a $200 million bid to uh, Legendary, who, who were the primary financiers of Godzilla versus Kong, um, and now HBO Max is sort of building up their own uh, combat bid to try to get it on HBO Max. Uh, sorry, Warner Brothers is putting together that that combat bid. Um, and then finally, David Prowse, who, uh, for most people that don't know, he was basically the body that was inside the Vader costume in the original movies, has passed away mm. at 85. So I just wanted to kind of give him a, a little shout out here because he he brought so much menace to that Vader character that uh, obviously James Earl Jones is the voice, but uh, you have to have the physicality uh, of Vader for him to be as menacing as he was in those in that original trilogy. So I just wanted to give him a quick shout out. Is it true that um, there was five different actors that portrayed Darth Vader? It was like David Prowse, who was like the actual person standing in um the voice actor james earl jones jr um one of the people who did the stunts for like his lightsaber sequences um i'm trying to think of the other two oh, his face his face is another one i forget i forget the name of that character sure. or actor yeah and the um, fourth fifth one i can't remember would it be hayden christensen would that would that be considered I guess. I, I yeah, guess it he, counts. He wore the Vader costume at the end of episode three, right? Yeah, for, I guess that counts. Second. Yeah, I, I think that is correct. I, I know David Prowse did a good amount of the stunts because he was like a bodybuilder, like a, a like he was an athlete basically. So I think he did some of the stunts, but I think there were certain things that he did to have like a double in there for. So that that does sound correct. Um, but yeah, you know, another Star Wars actor unfortunately passing, but uh, lived lived a long life, eighty five, like we said. Um, and made his imprint. Made his imprint. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you want to talk about either of these other two stories here? Um, the three five five doesn't interest me at all. I don't really care that the movie was pushed. Um, we were talking a little bit about Godzilla versus Kong in our DMs over the week, and it's the fact that you know how much did the second one make it? Like it kind of dropped off a little bit. It, and it dropped like two hundred million dollars. Exactly. So I guess like the bid was they're just essentially paying for the budget plus you know a little surplus just to get that you know get that green light to put it on the streaming service. So I'm guessing that's what it is because like with the combination of like COVID, people are not going to go out of their way to watch too huge a dinosaur in a gorilla fight <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic so yeah. it makes sense for them to be you know having a bid war for this movie yeah i guess that's important to mention thanks for bringing that up sam like the reason yeah the reason why this movie like you would think that a movie of this scale would be like why would you even think about taking that out of theaters and it's because basically the studio dropped about 200 million dollars to finance the movie um and they don't know when they're going to be able to put it into theaters so the logistic uh, or the logic sorry behind that is yeah the first godzilla made like 500 million the second godzilla dropped like 300 million so you know that's a pretty steep drop you imagine that this one is probably going to be in that same ballpark or maybe even less unless it's like very well critically regarded um so the studio's thinking is probably let's just recoup our $200 million now so we don't have to write off $200 million at the end of the year on our accounts, whatever. I, I'm not I'm not a finance person. I don't know how that <laughs> works. But it's basically like, let's make our money now. Um, it's okay if we don't make a profit because then we'll just balance and, and even out and basically hit zero. Um, and at this point, because the movie industry is so in flux, I think it seems like they just think that's the better route to go, honestly. Um, yeah, they just need to put these movies on streaming services because... 
Yeah. It's too sketchy to go out of your way to watch these uh-huh. movies in theaters. I'm still excited for Kong vs. Godzilla. Are you? I have to rewatch the second one. I really enjoy the first one. The yeah. second one, I I don't remember much. We haven't um, talked about Skull Island that much. What did you think about that? I didn't like it. I didn't either. <laughs> it was it was just a lot of fluff, a lot of budget. And it was they wasted the cast. You know, we had uh, Tom Hiddleston, Brie, Brie Larson, Tom Sam Larson. Jackson, yeah, John like, Goodman. That cast was insane. Um, it felt like Predator level. Not well, it was a bit better than Predator, but with the same you know factors factored into it. Like it's a big budget, yeah. it's a well known property, huge cast. Yeah. <laughs> like you it think, didn't hit the mark. You think Jordan Vogt Roberts is going to get his Metal Gear Solid movie off the ground ever? That's another genre. Video game adaptations <laughs> are another, you know, big iffy. So yeah. I really couldn't say. Yeah, I want to see him do it because I've I've heard that he has a really cool like script lined up and a good project, and he's a very big video game fan. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, video game projects have never come to fruition. Uh, I, I wish him the best. Cause, although I didn't love name Sonic. one good video game movie. Ooh. Uh, Did you like Sonic? Sonic was. Sonic was. Sonic, Sonic, was Sonic. Was, <laughs> Sonic was Sonic. Yeah, <laughs> did you see it? You didn't see it. No, right? I didn't. I didn't watch it. I wonder if it's going to hit streaming service soon because it's been. It came out in theaters in like February. It's like w- the highest grossing movie of the year, I think, so far. Would you Would you consider Wreck It Ralph the first one? No, I wish. <laughs> I wish because I love Wreck It Ralph. I don't think it has video game characters in it. I, I know Mario and Bowser and stuff are in there. I guess Sonic is probably the best of the lot, but it's like. It's there like, was a movie that came out a couple of years, like a, over a decade ago, called Doom with uh, The Rock. I didn't see that. Have you seen um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children? No. It's like a spinoff <laughs> of Final Fantasy VII, the video game. That movie's actually really good. I, I saw that back How many there. Final Fantasy movies? Like, There's like a bunch of video games for oh, that. It's like yeah, there's like, I think, no, there's more than 10. There's like 20 now. Um, I don't, I, that might be the only movie, though, that spun off of that franchise. I would say that's probably my favorite video game movie, but I haven't Mario seen Mario movie that came out in the 90s. Oh, no, they, <laughs> no, they, was it, there was a big name director on that, too, wasn't there? Yeah, I think I think you're right about I that. I still I still want to see a Zelda movie. I haven't played much of the Zelda video games, but I feel like that world is so like it's so ready for some sort of adaptation, whether it be uh, big screen or small screen. I'm looking it up. Best video game. Just enjoy the next segment <laughs> while I look this up. Yeah, well, we're gonna get into reviews here, and Sam, you're like you have the first front of reviews, so so we'll wait for you. But uh, we're gonna get into Happiest Season and Mando as our sort of overlapping reviews later towards the end of the episode. I guess I can quickly say I did finish Attack on Titan seasons one through three, so we'll be talking about that later in the week. And I started Cowboy Bebop, which I will talk a little bit more about once I'm farther in. I'm like the first Jumanji. That's solid. Hey, is that a video game? That's a board game, right? Oh, it's a board game. Yeah. Uh, Tron. <laughs> Tron. Yeah, I didn't love even like the, what, it was Tron Legacy, right? The Disney. I never, one. I never saw the first. Yeah, one. it was, it was okay. I, I never saw the original one either. Actually, I've only seen Tron Legacy, so. I'll just go into my reviews. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first movie I saw this week, I literally after we finished recording our regular episode last week, is called. It has three titles: The Camille Girl, Midori, and Shoujo Subaki. Why does it have three titles? <laughs> I don't know. It's a movie that's banned in Japan. It's an anime movie. Oh. It's 48 minutes long. And, you know, it has... I, the reason I bring this movie up is, like, it's really... Like, it's like a Gaspar Noé type, human centipede type movie oh, in animation. <laughs> like, it has pedophilia, um, uh, dog murder, uh, gore, body horror, rape, 
and it's so intense and it's insane because like, it's insanely low budget like some of these scenes are just like still pictures of people talking in the background but the reason i bring this movie up is because of the fact that the continuing conversation of animated movies only being for children so if you think that animated movies are only for children i challenge you to watch this movie with your family <laughs> if you can get past the first 10 minutes then I'll, I'll Venmo you $100. What compelled you to go and watch this thing? There was a social media thing. I was on TikTok. It was trending, and someone mentioned it to me. He was like, hey, this is a movie about – this is like an animated movie, Ben to Japan, about like this little girl. It's about this little girl who who loses her mother because of sickness. She was abandoned by her father. She's like 12 years old, 13 years old, and she gets kind of roped into being a part of this circus. Like She was like, you know, kind of – coerced into being a part of the circus and when she's a part of the circus the people abuse her she's raped and then you know she gets married to like this dwarf magician who is like insane and he does like all this like it's 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 a wild fucking movie i don't know how else to put it but people were talking about it on social media i was like you know what i'm gonna watch it just to see what it's like and it's from 1992 48 minutes long i don't know if i recommend it I, def- I definitely will not be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the kill scenes are really intense. Yeah, I'll def- I, I, will, movie. I will definitely not be watching this one. No the second sense. movie I was a rewatch. I talked about, I don't know, January, <laughs> February after Parasite. Parasite. Yeah, it was in Parasite 1. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle. You know, it's a great movie. It's, it's, a, it's hilarious. It's campy as hell. It's like Looney Tunes with martial arts. You get the choreography is really great the the score is fantastic for this movie and it's so inventive in the way it portrays like this martial arts kind of thing it's like, it's like it, it feels like an animated adaptation that never was like that's what that's a kind of like the sentiment i get from the stephen child's kung fu hustle it's just a fun movie to watch it's still on netflix so if you're looking for a fun martial arts action movie to watch it's like reminds you of looney tunes or anime kung fu hustle is, is the one for you all right nice um that was your, your it for your solo reviews right so let's yes go ahead and get into overlapping reviews uh let's start with happiest season this is the uh this is the rom-com that hit hulu starring Kristen stewart mackenzie davis uh dan levy aubrey plaza amongst many others um basically mackenzie davis is going home for christmas Kristen stewart is her girlfriend she decides to take her home to meet her parents but she doesn't tell her parents that she's gay so they just think that Kristen stewart is her orphan roommate um and so kind of craziness ensues and it's this back and forth uh whether or not mackenzie davis is going to tell her parents how her parents are going to react to it um i don't really love like holiday movies in general like it's not really a genre i really go visit outside of the holiday season and even then it's just like on christmas day i'll watch a certain subset of movies and on thanksgiving just watch harry potter yeah that that's that's more or less the sort of the trend that i go and a couple a couple <laughs> other like ho- like childhood favorites that i'll revisit like again like on christmas day um but i obviously love the rom-com genre and, and this was you know obviously a unique spin on it because the core the core uh, romance in this movie is a lesbian is a lesbian couple between Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart and we talked about it when we talked about the trailer whether or not Kristen Stewart could sort of handle or, or carry sorry a basically comedic centric movie and I think she really really does I I really like this movie a lot um I don't know if I said up top it is on Hulu so you can watch it if you're interested but I, I just think that she's so good at juggling the sort of drama and this movie has a pretty fair amount of drama in it and the comedy um there's just so much of both in this movie and I think she just such a good job of anchoring the entire thing I also love the sort of journey that Mackenzie Davis and her take throughout the entire film uh, I really like the side characters specifically Dan Level- Dan Levy we talked about him 
when we talked about the trailer and him being sort of the the scene stealer in the trailer and he's just as much that in the movie he has some really hilarious scenes um i don't necessarily think it's you know reinventing the wheel in any sense but i think it's a really good rom-com and a time where i think we really need it and, and i think it does most rom-com stuff better than most rom-coms do because the rom-com genre is pretty sparse if we're being completely honest but i, I have a feeling that you probably didn't like this movie yeah, I didn't. It, like the, <laughs> when we saw the trailer, it felt like one of those uh, Hallmark type Christmas movies. With it's an much LGBT better angle. than that. It's much better than it a feels movie. like the the moments between um, Abby Kristen Stewart's character and her sister Sloane just feels so forced. Like they feel like they're just trying to make you laugh, and I it just fell flat on his face every time those two were interacting with each other on screen. It just felt really shallow. Yeah, and same with Marie Holland's character Jane. Oh, I thought I, Jane was I, so funny. I hated her, man. It was just so cringy to watch her on screen. I just couldn't bear it. But there were moments that I did laugh, like particularly with Dan Levy's character. Yeah. And it does have a sweet message to it about acceptance, you know, being present with your own relationships and all that. But it, it, it's fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend this movie. Really? I'm surprised by that because, like, I feel like, you know, the rom-com genre, like I said, like, I myself am a big fan of it, but especially in recent memory, like, there isn't really a whole lot of good ones, and I feel like this stands above most of the stuff that we've gotten in the past five years. I will say, though, I really like the dynamic between uh, Aubrey Plaza's character and Kristen Stewart's character. That's exactly where I was about to go next. Um, I I think that that relationship that those two characters have, and I don't want to get into spoilers here, so I I won't discuss it too in-depth, but I think that that relationship added a whole other dimension to this movie that was really really fascinating to me that you don't often see um in movies i felt like, genuine yeah it really did and aubrey plaza is really good like because we see her i think expand her range a little bit here like you know use usually even in more serious movies or more serious content she's still kind of wacky out there and this movie she's pretty grounded and i thought she, yes. she handled it pretty well yes. i thought she's really good in it yeah, usually see her play that deadpan character with great delivery yeah i agree um <laughs> i will agree with you also on the sloan front because i didn't think that that character was I, I understand why it was necessary um i didn't think it was that well written a character and that sucks because allison brie was playing that character um and allison brie is such a talented comedic actress that i would have liked to see more from that character but like I just, the scenes it, in, the, in, the, in the ice rink is yeah just that that stuff wasn't great it was very just sort forced of, uh, you know that that stuff is in the trailer basically those two sisters have like more or less a rivalry and that stuff was definitely forced just to kind of plant a certain type of genre that would lead or sorry not genre certain type of drama that would lead to a catalyst towards the end of the film um but i disagree with you on jane i thought jane was hilarious i just thought she was like so goofy so ridiculous actually mary holland is a co-writer on the movie i think um so she probably wrote that character specifically for herself um that's pretty that, solid reviews 85 percent on Meta, on rotten tomatoes and 69 on metacritic yeah I, I think critics are liking this movie so you're, you're definitely falling in the minority on this one uh is, is it just because it has that sort of cheap hallmarky feel to you at least yes yes okay. it was just because of the fact that it just felt like i had a, i had a message to give and it felt like it wanted to teach you something mm. and just kind of i don't know just if, i don't i don't know i just didn't like it no that's fine i think the the selling point for me is actually the performances above everything else the story is <laughs> fine um the message is good obviously but I, I just thought that all the actors that were in there were, were really good in their parts for the most part so that, that's why i think i lashed onto this one um, sure that's fair Let's go ahead and get into something that I think will probably be a little (laughs) bit more positive here. Uh, The Mandalorian Chapter 13, entitled The Jedi. And um, do you mind if I geek out 
first. No, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're I'll just like, say real quick. If you if you guys want to know if Raj likes something, he'll just tweet screenshots of it on this. Uh, just tweet, yeah, just tweet <laughs> screenshots. Put screenshots on my Instagram story. That's exactly not not really overt screenshots either. They're like kind of subtle, kind of like very hey, subtle. Hey, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I like to do. Um, <laughs> uh, let, actually, before we before I geek out plus minus rating anything bef- just for non-spoiler people that haven't watched the episode yet I- i'm sure. i'm this might be my favorite episode of the series so far yeah that's very fair i mean i thought it was a really good episode really great shots in this show i mean like the, it felt like the, the like the green palette of that planet where they go Beautiful, to yeah corvus pa- 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 paired off with her sabers uh-huh. it's just it looks gorgeous it yeah. Was, yeah it's really well made yeah, yeah. and and yeah, let's get into spoilers now. It's not really a, it's not really a spoiler to say this say this because it's all over the internet, but yeah, this is the emergence of Ahsoka Tana. We got the reports of her over the summer. We got the official hint of her from Bo-Katan a few episodes ago, and we finally got our first look. Like right off the bat, this episode just jumps right like it doesn't even hesitate. It jumps right into it. The first sequence is basically Ahsoka wrecking shop um with her two uh sabers, which was incredible. Rosario Dawson playing the role. Um yeah, I mean this this is just insane. This this episode, yeah, like you said, it looks incredible. First and foremost, like it's even if it's not necessarily my favorite story wise, it's definitely the best looking. Um, and I said this to you in our in our messages back and forth. We had like a brief back and forth about it. It was so Akira Kurosawa and Dave Filoni has outright outright said that he's a massive fan of Akira Kurosawa and it's on full display like this is a samurai like sort of story yes that's what I felt like Mandalorian it 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 looks and feels like an Akira Kurosawa film and especially because I'm like sort of diving back into his filmography more recently like it really really hit hard for me if you want to continue that uh, that uh comparison isn't she essentially a ronin in this universe more or less yeah she she's she doesn't really consider herself a quote-unquote jedi um everybody calls her a jedi but back if you go back into rebels and whatnot she doesn't really consider herself a jedi because she doesn't fully uh play into all the um the rules because it's the religion yeah the religion and all that it's very strict with the jedi obviously but uh there are certain parts of it which we see in this episode that she does adhere to um and that's because of her past experiences obviously um we also got Baby Yoda's name, Grogu, right? Uh, Gorgu, What do you think about the name? I don't love it. Um, I was trying to guess it. Like, I knew there was going to be something weird. Like, I was going to say, like, so Yoda's the only one that we know of his kind. It's yeah. Yoda. So it'd be, like, two syllables. It uh-huh. sounds alien. Uh-huh. And I was... I, I don't want to say I guessed it, but I was pretty close. I, I, I just don't love the name. It kind of... I'm going to continue to call him Baby Yoda. If, Everyone says that on the end. It was like, I'm going to just continue calling him Baby Yoda. I don't care yeah. what the fuck uh, even though, Din, like, Din Djarin calls him. Yeah, even though since, like, episode one, basically, they were like, it's not Baby Yoda, it's the child. It's the child. And everybody continued to call him Baby Yoda. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, to see Ahsoka come to life was just incredible. And even for, like, somebody like myself who's familiar with the character who's seen certain episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels, but it's not even fully steeped in that Star Wars canon and lore. Like, for somebody who I'm sure was like fully invested in both those series. They probably lost their mind seeing this. Yes. He just has yes. like, I, I mean, like the shot that Sam is probably alluding to is the one. I think it's towards the beginning that like mm-hmm. she's sort of in the distance. It's this foggy sort of like you said, like this green swampy. Yeah, it looks like surrounding her, and all you see is like the white saber sort of like glowing through the dark. It's just some incredible shots in this in this episode. Um, but aside from the shots as well, you you know you get it is again like sort of a one-off adventure they have to beat this magistrate lady who's trying to kill ahsoka um but you have so much expansion of the lore the mythology and where the story could go um because basically um you know they're trying to train baby yoda slash grogu whatever his name is um (laughs) and she's like you know she makes the hint to vader where she's like this person has an attach this this being has an attachment to you everyone's like anakin yeah right exactly she's (laughs) like i can't i can't train somebody who has an attachment 
to somebody because I've seen what that does to that person, how, how dark a path it could take them down if they lose that person that they're attached to. To see that brought back into the fold here was just incredible. Um, there's there's hints towards farther reaching, obviously. Um, in the sort of battle at the end, she makes the reference of Thrawn. And now I'm like, I didn't even consider it at the beginning, but uh, are we going to get Thrawn in this series? Like, are we going to get him this season even? And we just got like secret casting behind the scenes. For people that don't know, Thrawn is one of like the most menacing villains and one of the most popular villains in Star Wars canon um, from the TV shows and the books as well. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there, even towards the end of the episode where she says like, you know, take him to this place and a Jedi will come find him. Like, is that hinting towards seeing another character from the extended universe like Ezra or even, you know, are we going to see Luke come back and, and play a role in this story mm. somehow? Like the, this, this episode was great because it, hearkened on the past it showed us some incredible stuff and it expanded the future in one of the most exciting ways that i've seen this series do yeah you, you pretty much said it all i can't really interject with anything. sorry <laughs> um during the sequences pretty much when she's like pretty much looking for a uh looking for ahsoka like after he meets with the magistrate in that weird little town where she's like torturing everybody um the, the very small fight sequences they have is pretty fun to watch but then seeing them just finally interact with each other after you know after all this anticipation of you know we're gonna see ahsoka this this uh this episode and you know i told raj about and i didn't tell i dm'd him a a tweet yeah about one of like the art directors i think it was and you know he's like, like we're gonna see ahsoka this next episode so just 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 to finally see them uh interact with each other and just to finally see her they did a great job with the with the uh her costume by the way she, oh, she looks so good she looks so good yeah. but seeing the interaction like you know her with Gorgu at this all the time like these two four sensitive individuals you know essentially communicating through through telepathy it's just really cool to watch because we finally get to know his name we got to see him you know have an attachment see how much of an attachment he has to um mando because of the little um ball thing that he, he likes to play with on the ship yeah and you know finally to see him look you know be told to use the force because up, up until that point he's like keeping it secret because of what's happened to him and you know question was he one of the children and part of that ma massacre that we didn't see in uh Revenge of the Sith. Um, let me see. So no, yeah, or he was, uh, no, or was he, well, just he being was, trained. He technically, you know, fifty years. Fifty years is is the sort of time gap. And considering the timeline, yeah, he he would have been around when Anakin slash Darth Vader went and massacred all those children. Um, that's man. not to say that he was necessarily at that Jedi school. He could have been elsewhere. He could have been hidden. Sure. Uh, but he was he was alive. Yeah, he was alive at that time. Okay. Well, another question that came up. You know, you mentioned the fact that she doesn't consider herself a Jedi, but it's titled the Jedi, and yeah. there's a you know entire discussion online. Yeah. Is she considered? Do you consider her a Jedi? Yes, because she was Anakin's Padawan. Um, she's got her own sort of line um, and her own sort of lineage now that she's going to a path that she's walking on her own now. But she she was a Jedi at some point in her life. She was brought up a Jedi. She's force sensitive. She was trained as a Jedi, and then she sort of strayed from all the the sort of uh, teachings of the Jedi. But she does, like we said, adhere to certain parts of the Jedi, certain parts of the Jedi. She doesn't adhere to. And there's this sort of I'm sure you've heard the term like gray Jedi, um, which is mm -hmm. not dark and not light. It sort of falls in the middle. I think she's as close to that as you get because she's 
believes in certain parts of it, but there are certain parts of it that she's trying to distance herself from. But she, yeah, she she was a Jedi at some point, so I still consider her a Jedi, yes. And it's also cool to see Pedro Pascal have a spear again. He's going to redeem himself after yeah, Game of Thrones. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the fight sequence between uh, Ahsoka and the Magister was really cool, too, because it kind of reminds me of a video game, because it's like mm. on that one platform. I love between, that, like, yeah. and It's just like, just like you know, kind of feels like Mortal Combat essentially, because yeah, yeah. it's just like one on one, and it's it's cool to see the fact that how formidable uh, Beskar armor is. Yeah, that that opens up the universe another interesting way because like, is this a hint towards what Gideon is building with his uh, dark troopers? Are those dark troopers somehow made out of Beskar, and is that going to make fighting them all the more difficult for for our main characters, especially if Ahsoka and other Jedi come and fight with them, like? If, like you said, like the fact that Beskar can't be torched by a lightsaber is that goes to show how powerful that material is. Like, what what do, what do you think that alludes to for later on in the series? Well, I think it just makes sense because of the fact that he's been getting shot with lasers and he doesn't die. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Fair enough. Um, three questions. Yeah. The fact that she's not going to train Gorgu because of you know her attachment, his attachment to uh, Din Djarin. Yep. And you're going to look for a new Jedi. But the fact that it's a character as huge as Ahsoka and as an actor as a huge as Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. I don't see them being one-off characters. So either they get brought back into the fold in later se- in the next season, or there's a spinoff. Would you want a spinoff? I don't want a spinoff. No, I've seen because like that whole Thrawn line, right, is either hinting towards her coming back into the fold in some way. If Thrawn becomes like the big bad of this series, like is Thrawn the next step up from Gideon? It's it's possible. Um, I don't want them to do an Ahsoka spinoff as much as I love that character now, seeing her in this live action uh, entity. I loved Rosario Dawson in the role. Um, I, I don't need her to go get her spinoff just based off this one line that's in the series. I want her to come back into the fold of Mandalorian. I, I want them to focus their energy on Mandalorian and making yes. sure that this story yeah. is, is cohesive before they expand it to other, other branches of the galaxy. Very fair. Okay, so with the mention of Thrawn... And the fact that I was looking up like the 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 backstory about him because I knew nothing. Yeah. Because I didn't watch Rebels. I didn't. Did you read the books. Did you recognize the name even? Yes. Yes. Because I, I was like Thrawn. Thrawn. That's that yeah. blue face guy, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked it up and then, like I looked at the backstory. Uh-huh. So, I, b- before I even looked it up, you know, Thrawn and whatever, yeah. who was attached to him and all that, I was thinking Obi Wan because that's the only other Jedi that they're making a TV show for. Sure. That's still in the universe, so it's either Obi Wan. I didn't think about Luke. But then I was looking through the, the the backstory of Thrawn and how you know meshed he is with the character the Jedi Ezra, which I know nothing about. Yeah. But in that backstory, they essentially die because they go into hyperspace in a faulty ship. So if Thrawn is still alive, that means Ezra's still alive. Yeah. Which means that he's probably the m- most probable Jedi that's gonna come out go out of their way to you know train Gorgu. Mm-hmm. So. Who would you cast? Because I have somebody in, in mind. Yeah, well, that was what I was sort of hinting to at the end when I said, like, are we going to get other Jedi? And I said, Ezra and Luke, like, those are the two that come to mind for me. Either Luke brings Grogu back into the fold of, of his personal teachings of the Jedi Academy, because we know he built up another group of Jedi after the events of Episode Six, where this story takes place. But yeah, like you're saying, it ties into the Ezra and the Thrawn, um, and those two characters are interconnected in a certain way because of Rebels. Um, I, I see that being the more um, logistical, yeah, probable option. Um, I'm the only person you can cast as Ezra, so if Ezra has been cast, I'm disappointed that Star Wars didn't reach out to me personally, because I would love to play Ezra. Um, no, but I, you know, the one actor who's been sort of lobbying, not yes, really lobbying, yes, but people... Yeah. people 
yes. people have yes. been lobbying yes. for as the actor is Rahul Kohli from yes. Bly Manor. I could definitely see him, especially after seeing him in Bly Manor. I would love to see him take on the mantle. I know there was a rumor that there was a casting posting um, back in the day, uh, like back around the time that the Ahsoka news came out, um, that they had posted something for somebody who was uh asian in descent like so south asian sp- more specifically i think in descent um in the range of 30 to 40 to play ezra and obviously Rahul Kohli falls into that um and he's a huge star wars nerd he's a huge star wars fan um he's like outright like on twitter just being like no i'm not ezra i'm not ezra and obviously he would do that obviously like, deny it yeah. yeah he would obviously deny it like but he goes out of his way to deny it. And I don't know if that's like him, like really playing into it because this rumor has been around since before even Bly Manor, people were sort of campaigning him to possibly play Ezra. Um, really? Yeah. There were, Cause he was popular on this other TV show called I zombie, which people. Enjoyed. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like he, he had a bit of a fan base from that. And obviously, like you said, he was a big star Wars fan. So people just knew that he would understand the universe. Um, I would love to see him get brought into the fold here he checks all the boxes he really does um there's no other, there's, other, for him. there's no other brown actors that i could really see playing that role because the only other prominent brown actor right now is dev patel and i don't see him being brought into the fold in mandalorian as a tv series especially not having like any cast if dev patel was cast in star wars we would know about it right well the other one i was thinking about was he's in marvel he got jacked for marvel for <clears throat> excuse me the eternals and camille nanjiani maybe I don't know. He doesn't look like an Ezra. Like he, you know, I know he's all buff and stuff now, but he doesn't look like a Jedi. He couldn't pull that off. I don't think. How about the other brown actor from Big Bang Theory? I forget his name. No, no, thanks. I, I don't. I don't see any of these guys. Kunal Kohli, Nayar. Yeah, I don't like. They they still have like a geeky look to them. And Rahul Kohli, like I know he's he, he looks, Yar, but he doesn't look like he doesn't look like a geek. He's a good looking dude. Yeah, he he could really pull off. And uh, you know, if I had to pick like a brown actor, it would obviously be Dev Patel. But I don't. I just don't see that happening. Um, or, I think he's distanced himself from big blockbuster movies because of what happened with Avatar. Avatar, yeah, exactly. Um, I would also be okay seeing a newcomer step into this, like. What do you think about a newcomer possibly playing the role? What's the big guy's name from uh, Bollywood? Last name Khan. Shahrukh Khan. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, if, if he was like, if he was like twenty years younger, I wouldn't be surprised if people were like throwing that name out there because like he's just he would he would sell tickets, he would bring Indian viewers to the Mandalorian. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But um, yeah, I'm probably just say real coolly. I can't think of anybody else. Off yeah, the top of my head. either or newcomer. And but, you mentioned that fan art. The, the I'm guessing you're talking about the Boss Logic one. Yes, he, yes. He looks perfect, like in that in that casting. So I don't know. But the only thing is, like I mentioned, the fact that last episode when we we're talking about Mando, when we reviewed, it, is because of the fact that they're bringing a lot of these characters in that are from other properties or other shows or yeah. you know books or whatever. And it's kind of starting to alienate me a little bit because I'm not part of that party of you know being excited for these characters to see them on screen. Like I had no attachment to Ahsoka. I don't know anything about Ezra. Be- I, I thought he was just like a regular pilot. I didn't know he was a Jedi. Yeah. And, you know, with Thrawn, you know, like I see, I saw his face, like I saw art for him. Uh-huh. I knew he was like a general or something in the, in the, in the, in the empire. Like he's considered like as bad as Palpatine and Vader. Yeah. But the fact that I don't have an attachment to these characters, but everyone else who's watching the show does, is kind of a 
bit alienating for me. That's interesting because I, I personally thought that they did a good job of bringing Ahsoka into the fold in the way that like you don't really need to know her past and her lineage to understand who she was. Like she's a powerful Jedi. She has a certain backstory, a certain connection to characters that we have met in the past, and I feel like they do a good job of laying that ground. Oh no, no, here. based off the show, yeah, but the fact that it's just like the reaction because of, oh, like the hype leading up to it, yeah, and, like, the reaction, like everyone else reacting it. to it, yeah. I see what you're that's saying. What it is. That, that's interesting. But, that's yeah. That's, but the that's, one, the, the one thing I wanted to say is the I mentioned the art director saying the next three episodes are going to be a roller coaster right yeah what do you have any predictions any speculation anything that you want to throw out there because i i personally like I, i'm glad that this episode put me in a place where i think i've already sort of laid out what my speculation is like the whole jedi stuff at the end but i don't mm-hmm. i don't really know where they could go from here I, I think there's a lot of ways that they could play in it and i guess the most exciting part is that we're finally excited for this show again moving forward well i don't think we're gonna get the jedi fight or the saber fight we're gonna get we thought about Right. Because Ahsoka's like still back on that one planet, sure, and yeah. you know, the Razor Clerks left. But the fact that he has that Beskar spear, and you know Moff Gideon's still out there with his dark saber, we're gonna get that big fight. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I can think about to, to theorize for this. Yeah. For the next so where, episodes. Last question, I guess. Where does Boba Fett fit into this? Yes. Still, yeah. Do I you don't have know. any thoughts? Do you have any? Do, or is it, is it a setup for season three? He's still on Tatooine. You know. Yeah bald as hell yeah right I, I don't i really don't know how they're gonna because like now yeah we have three episodes left where do they go from here i assume gideon is going to be the primary candidate for villain uh boba fett does he play into this or is he sort of like in the background maybe shows up once or twice and then he's really this the main villain for season three i guess i guess there's no indication because he didn't do anything he just looked out into the desert and it ended That's but it. with with gideon he still has that beacon on the razor crest mm-hmm. and that was episode one too when we saw yeah. both that so like it's been how many episodes now that we haven't like five episodes since we have seen him and like there's not even been a hint of him or anything like that it was just his armor on Cobb Van's body and then a sign of bold like you said Boba Fett and that's it that's really it so I don't know there's a lot of ways that the series could go I'm excited for it again which is I think the most promising thing that we can take from these past two episodes and the reason I brought the fact that the next three episodes are gonna be a roller coaster is just to say that they're gonna be narratively focused yeah which is the best part which is the best part and even though like these episodes had some stuff that strayed from the narrative like they still played into the broader story of where this series is gonna go and I think that's that's the most promising thing about these episodes as a whole and I would just still say I think maybe the last episode of last season is still my favorite but I think this is a close second it's close yeah it's it's definitely close Um, but yeah that'll bring us to a close for this episode thanks everybody for joining us um sam let people know where they can find you you can find me on my twitter at sam zero so and on my instagram at sam osorio o-s-o-r-i-o find me at rod 236 as always please be sure to check out our show notes for resources on black lives matter also be sure to rate review subscribe to the podcast share with your friends family you can find us on apple spotify anchor all the popular platforms uh we will be back later this week with another featured episode to come back and